0: Whether you take insurance, took insurance, have never taken insurance, as a therapist, we all have a relationship with insurance. We have stories, beliefs, ideas about what it means to be a therapist who takes insurance and one who doesn't. And I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with not one special guest, but five special guests in today's episode where we had a panel discussion about our relationship with insurance. And you are not going to want to miss this episode, y'all, because it is so rich. It is so rich because we really share in a vulnerable space how our relationships with insurance have changed as we have grown more confident in ourselves as business owners in private practice. So, You're not going to want to miss this discussion. I'm sure you have a friend who's going to need to hear this as well. So share it with those who who need the the frameworks and the love and support. And I'm excited to dive in. Let's get started. Well, today I am very excited to get to have this episode with all of you. You know, as we know, as clinicians, we all have some kind of relationship with insurance. We've heard about insurance, we've maybe taken insurance, maybe we use insurance, but the relationship is there. And I think what often shuts people down talking about insurance is that there's just lots of big feelings about it. So we were hoping today to have a conversation about our relationship with insurance to hopefully inspire people to think about theirs, to think about their values, to think about how to think about insurance. So I am so excited to get to hang out with some of my favorite people, uh, on today's episode, we're joined by Christy Pearl, Annie Robichard, uh Jennifer Jenkins-Boitnot, Andriana Mabry, and Linda Stanley. Y'all, thank you for being here together. Nice
1: to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great, great to be here.
0: Very cool. So I had never taken insurance. I had a supervisor uh, when I was an intern terrify me about insurance. So I'm going to probably be the most ignorant person in this conversation (laughs) um, because I don't have that experience because I was scared from my supervisor and kind of internalized that message. But when we think about our relationship with insurance, I'm curious if any of you want to share kind of your story around how that started for you or how that's changed for you. I'll go first. Um, I
2: started off in private practice as an associate the time. We were called interns. and I remember. <laughs> yes. And uh, I was um, on the Medi-Cal panel. So that's pretty much my only experience being on a panel with insurance was during that time. And it was rough <laughs> um, because I was only getting a percentage of that fee. And um, there were often cancellations. And so I was definitely making less than minimum wage when you consider the sum total of hours that I was spending working on that client, cancellations, paperwork, and such. And I was already EMDR trained. And there was also the limitation of session length, which wasn't really appropriate or standard of care for my modality. So I s- quickly shifted when I became licensed to uh, um, private pay. So that's my experience.
0: Mm. How, and Annie, how was that for you to make that shift? I mean, a lot of people get scared, right? To make that transition. How was that for you? Or were you, were you just so scared that you weren't in turn going into private practice, like nothing mattered anymore? <laughs>
2: well, I think that, um, it, you know, it's hard to remember how scared I was. I think everything was scary at that time, um, you know, being in private practice. But I had a significant number of clients that were private pay that were transitioning. And I think quite a few people transitioned with me that had been um, Medi-Cal clients and I was uh, providing care at just steep, steep sliding scale. I think everything was just hustle and out of necessity for survival at that point. So I was probably a little dissociated at this point. But um, what I found as an a EMDR clinician at the time is the demand was so high it was it was pretty easy to transition and build my caseload as a private pay clinician and it's
0: been so ever since. Thank you for saying that because I think a lot of people who desire to come off of insurance panels and go into private practice as private pay, they feel scared about that. And I think it's a great reminder that, you know, as EMDR clinicians, we're, we're kind of in a little bit of a different group that way in terms of demand. I think I for most of the 10 years, I had a wait list as a private pay
2: clinician. And I also had the flexibility to slide when yeah. when necessary. I was actually making more charging someone $20 an hour cash than I was taking Medi-Cal.
0: So, you know, for perspective. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I'm, sure. curi- I'm curious what your experience is bringing up for others as, as they've had their different relationship with insurance.
3: Yeah, I'm really relating to that. I'm right now in private practice out in California and I'm being like I'm through my last 3 weeks or so on insurance. Like I'll be done with insurance at the end of the month and I I found it to be really helpful. Like I've been I've been actually really grateful to be able to get panelled and I think part of that Also, then makes it harder to really leave. It's that sense of like the reason why we have mental health providers on insurance at all is because someone really fought for that. Like, someone fought to say, like, this is really a legitimate health service and, you know, insurance should pay for that. Mm -hmm. And, and then EMDR on top of that, right? Like, oh, yes, like EMDR is a specialty that's covered. Like, oh, it felt so good, right? To be like accepted into the, Medicare, medical model. That now it's that sense of like, okay, thanks, but also, uh, that's not enough. Like, actually, what we're doing is a specialty, and if it's not going to be treated like the specialty it is, then something that seems like a gift can also kind of start to feel confining.
0: And I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm appreciating how how that relationship changes. <laughs> right how how it can start off, I think as gratefulness and security and we can understand the rationale and why it exists and I'm appreciating you noticing how it, how it shifted for you as you've learned more and had more experience in that relationship
3: yeah I, you know Annie when you mentioned the idea of like the the session time being so limited, right like you're always racing the clock and like if you can't get it done in 53 minutes, you know it's just that sense of, not having all the control in the room, that um, it's nice to think about what's possible when I get that back.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and how are you feeling now that you're at this kind of final phase in your relationship with insurance? How is that for you now?
3: Um, it's feeling exciting. It's feeling... Um, there's definitely still like this... Uh, like bit of a wobbliness like oh I don't know what's going to be on the other side of that change but um, having had just so many experiences of like the insurance company's communication not being so helpful or um, waiting around to see if I have permission to treat this person that's a good fit for my practice just stuff like that that I'm glad that I won't have to deal with. I think there's also a level of communication and like thinking through my own business owner mindset that's changing because of that. Like, I have to communicate with prospective clients in a different way. And there's other types of flexibility that I won't have because, you know, I have to make a certain amount. So I think there's some mixed feelings there, but overall, it's coming out positive.
0: Mm hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Is anyone else in their private practice currently in a place of kind of coming towards the end mm-hmm. of their relationship with insurance? Yeah, Linda, do you want to jump in?
1: Yeah. Um, so I I had a similar process. Um, I started my I started my career actually in more activism kind of community based work where I didn't have to diagnose. Or do the level of sort of accommodating somebody else's, you know, style um, or the insurance company's demands. And so when I got into after, you know, half my career was in that and then got into um, outpatient counseling, it has been, you know, it was really a shock to me that I had to really rigidly sort of fit into this box that they wanted to put me into in the style um, and the style of work that I wanted to do and what I felt were priorities clinically. And so I'm in Massachusetts. I don't know about Medi-Cal or Medics or any of those. I have had, you know, a number of private insurances and, you know, I think, you know, it's been a long haul because I've worked a lot of hours in private practice to make a decent living because the pay is so low and it's, ins- it's been insulting. It really has so too many clients and then I have too much paperwork because you know then I have to comply with that and then I have that is not useful to me clinically and then I have too many hours spent on the phone with insurance companies. So when you said it's you know I end up working for you know minimum wage, I I absolutely feel the same way and it was it's really insulting. So I've been in a process of Extricating myself from insurance companies. Basically, actually, what really pushed me was um, Cambria's uh, podcast on who's the boss of your business. And that set a fire under me. And I was really, really, you know, ready to just say, well, wait a minute. I thought I was, and I'm not. Mm. um, And I'm not. And so, I have been through a process of trying to, to you know, drop insurances um, in a way that feels clinically comfortable for me. Um, and I have some long-standing clients that I'm keeping their own insurance. So I have one insurance company that I'll keep, uh, maybe. So, I, you know, but maybe I will charge $20. Who knows? I don't know what I'll do. But at this point, that's that's kind of where I'm at. And it's been a real huge paradigm shift but i can work the way that i want to work when i'm you know in private practice working for myself not being overseen by this entity that wants me to practice in the way that they want me to practice so mm. it's gratifying right it's really been challenging but it's also been very gratifying to break up with insurance companies and i really do feel like i'm like sending a break up to your john letter Like, I'm done, I'm out. It's an abusive relationship, I'm out. And so, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I've got one more, two more that I want. I'm dropping in September. One dropping one in September and sending a letter to another one probably in the next week or two. So that will leave me with the one insurance that I take. This Mm -hmm. is huge. Huge. Huge, huge it's freedom. It's, it also frees me up to do intensives and more consultation work. So that's what I love. I love working with consultants, um, with EMDR therapists and helping them to navigate this into doing, doing intensives and working the way that I'd like to work after, you know, being in the field for so long, like 30 years. So, you know, it's nice to be able to get there. It is, it is so
0: exciting to be your friend and colleague and to, and to know how much clinical expertise you have and what a amazing consultant and teacher you are. It's really exciting to to see you and hear you talk about the part of you that that has that social justice part, right? I think we all have that part that's like, we're here to help and we're here to do the right thing and we're here to make a difference. To have that still be true. But also have a relationship with your business where you feel like you have more control and flexibility, so that we can do more social justice, right? That we that you can train other EMDR therapists and the ripple effect of that, right, to do intensives, which are typically more efficient for people clinically. Mm-hmm. I think I think the choices you're making do feel rooted in social justice to me.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, and there's that piece around like being uh, as a therapist who really embraces empowerment the empowerment model to be disempowered on one hand mm. and and ask my clients I think I I you know really am much more clear about this to ask my clients to do what empowers them to you know up their self-care and you know find relationships that are respectful and that kind of thing and then to be seeing eight clients in a day. And then having to do paperwork at night—that's, you know, the the there's a conflict, right? There's, yes. That does if I'm not in sync, and this feels much more in sync with my value system. Mm-hmm. So I've, gosh, I really appreciated having this group to be able to um, work through that process with, to be inspired by you all.
0: It's it's so important to be around people that help you feel congruent, and that's what we do as therapists all the time, right? And I know several of us have commented on this on other conversations, but you know, I don't. I don't think clients understand what the actual take home is for insurance. I don't think they actually understand how much paperwork there is and how many hours is is involved with participating in that system. So, thank you for naming that.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, can I jump in? Because I think people do understand. Say more. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think. What I'm noticing is, you know, it's kind of a talk around the internet or, you know, socials, whatever about like, oh, like my therapist wants me to file my claims and, you know, and the out-of-network process, like clients uh, looking for a therapist, but not wanting that out-of-network experience. And so I think on some level, there is an awareness that like, dealing with insurance companies sucks. Yes. Yes. But they'd rather that we do it. And, you know, hearing someone talk about, like, no, if you do it, you're one person. If I do it, I have to do it eight times Mm -hmm. for the day. Like, Mm -hmm. that framework has really helped, like, shift some things for me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that they don't know insurance is uh, complicated. I think they know.
0: That's powerful. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for naming that. Jennifer, I know you had um, raised your hand earlier about your uh, transitioning off of insurance. What's coming up for you as people talk about this? I know that you're kind of at the end of that process as well.
4: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, like I'm, I'm just like reflecting, kind of like zooming out and reflecting on like because I've had a long relationship with insurance. I I mean, I had a relationship with insurance before I even took insurance. Because I was in, I started out in, you know, when I was a resident um, in counseling, getting my license, I started out in a group practice and I was doing a lot of administration work for the practice while I was seeing clients. And one of the things that I did was credentialing the licensed therapist with the insurance panels. Oh, wow. You were in the trenches with that paperwork. Yeah. So I like, I, oh my gosh, I've done that like a million, I can't even count how many times I've you know, done the credentialing process for, for other people and for myself. Um, And so I, like, from the very beginning, like, really got this foundation of, like, you have to take all, as many insur- insurances as we can. And we want to like, the insurance brings the clients. And, you know, you just kind of have to, like, take what they give you, the insurance companies, as far as rates go. Some you can try to negotiate with, but it's like, really, 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 really difficult. And I've negotiated with some insurance companies from time to time and and made like a little bit of an increase because of that. But like as a whole, it's very much this, like the insurance companies have the power and they're going to get you the clients and that's going to get you, you know, food on your table and pay your bills. And you just kind of have to deal with it and deal with all the things that everybody's already mentioned about what's so stressful about taking it. But one of the things that I am just kind of like really putting together that how the insurance piece connected to um, of what's changing in my practice now is that that model teaches you the like the insurance based model then is teaching you the like, see as many clients as possible in a day, see as many clients as you can in a week. And the only way to make more money is to see more clients. And that that was kind of the answer. And I felt very burnt out on that very very early on and I couldn't figure out what it was mm. that was burning me out and so I thought that when I shifted from being in a group practice and doing a bunch of administration work for a bunch of other people too that being on my own would be simpler and easier and that that burnout would dissipate and it was simpler and it was easier in some ways but the burnout didn't dissipate, just changed. And what I realized when I started doing, when I started experimenting last year with offering intensives, was that what needed, what I needed to change was that I don't work well in that model. I mean, I really don't think anybody does, but I really don't work well in the like, see a bunch of people back to back every day, next day, next day, next day. And so as I, started to bring in intensives and also bring in more consultation with other EMDR therapists and therapists wanting to go into private practice, and I started to like diversify what I was doing. That is what helped alleviate the burnout. Like once I recognized that it was the like the structure of what therapy and what being a therapist is supposed to look like, once I could shift that and say, oh, I can actually just be intentional with how I want to structure my sessions. It's not just, you know, one hour, one hour, one hour. Then that opened up all of this other flexibility that I didn't even know was possible. And then once I had the other flexibility, then leaving insurance isn't so scary because I'm not a hundred percent dependent on the insurance claims because then I have other sources of revenue coming in. It's not just clients. And so that, that has been really huge. Um, I did a very slow transition with off of insurance when I start, like I've been going off of insurance since I started my practice. And it was, I came, I was already paneled with a bunch of insurances, private insurance, Medicaid policies, uh, like almost everything that was, you know, available in the area. And so when I moved into my solo practice, I immediately dropped the ones that I knew paid the worst and the ones that just really weren't, you'd have like one or two clients every once in a while, like it just didn't seem worth it to keep it up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then each year I kind of like did the same thing. And then I would drop a few more that were paying lower or that I didn't have a lot of clients. I only had like one or two people for the year. And so I got down to only having like four or four. And so last year I dropped two more. And then this year I'm in the final stages of I'll be done with everything in July. And so now I only have like a few people who are still connected to insurance like this month. And so middle of July, I'll be completely done.
0: Wow. So much there. Mm-hmm. Um, so much there. You know, I'm hearing, I'm hearing this theme of like security.
4: Definitely, Mm -hmm.
0: and and I and I deeply, (laughs) I deeply feel like um, the need to have security in our in our business, right? I mean, I'm responsible for these two little kids. I've got to pay for all their stuff, and it's like that's never lost on me. And I feel like insurance gives people security, like you said. Like you get all the clients, and you get the guarantee. And I really appreciate that you are able to articulate how you gave yourself another form of security. Mm-hmm. Right with EMDR consultation, with the intensives, right, with the practice building coaching. And I want to say too that, you know, this group here that we have is so talented. We're a mix of EMDR consultants, people that are about to be EMDR consultants. So, you know, we we've been around for a little while doing this. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, at, at what point do we give ourselves permission as EMDR clinicians to really internalize that we're highly trained and that this is a safe thing to do? Right. So, so that question has come up as I'm listening to you, Jennifer, and maybe we'll answer it together today, but I'm definitely, as people are listening to this podcast episode or watching, if you're just EMDR trained, if you're certified, I'm I'm curious for folks like what, when it feels safe, when am I trained enough to be able to be okay? Right. Yeah.
5: Christy, what about you? Yeah. So, um, Along those lines, I'll I'll talk about my, you know, I'll give like a summary of my relationship with insurance, but along those lines, you know, I think that that's this issue around being more experienced and getting paid the same thing as someone who is not experienced, not advanced, trained, not, you know, that is, I think the thing that bothers me the most about insurance. I mean, there are a lot of things that could bother us about it, but I think the thing that bothers me the most is that, that someone who is, has gone to all this extra advanced training certification, someone who's worked in the field for 30 years, like Linda is getting paid the same thing as someone who just graduated and has no advanced training whatsoever. And that, I just feel like that, that's, Part of what makes this, you know, sort of an um unsatisfying relationship. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's in in my opinion, it's just wrong. <laughs> um and I think that if if there were some attention paid to that, some of this tension, might be alleviated. So maybe that's a topic for later, but I just wanted to say that before, you know, before I forgot. But um, so as far as, you know, like sort of my trajectory, I mine might be a little bit different. So I started like a lot of people right out of grad school in community mental health and quickly internalized all the fear around insurance and it, you know, we were a purely serving the Medicaid population. This was in Massachusetts. Um, I'm in Virginia now, but I, I still practice in Massachusetts and I spent most of my career so far in Massachusetts. So, you know, serving MassHealth clients, you know, exclusively and, you know, the, the documentation, the paperwork, all of that, the whole nine yards. And, you know, I, I quickly realized, you know, after a couple of years of that, if this is what being a therapist is, I don't want it. So I left and I actually went to work for an insurance company and
0: everything.
5: (laughs) (laughs) So I, I went to work as a case manager and now mind you, this was a mass health plan, which, you know, made decisions in a way that, you know, cared about the members and you know, wanted to do the right thing. But this was in another era. Um, You know, it wasn't a commercial insurance plan, but it was soon kind of uh, um, bought by a commercial plan. And, you know, like the rules start to change as far as how things are done and what things are decided. But, you know, I, I think that it's it's interesting when you go to the other side, so to speak, (laughs) I'm using air quotes for the people that are listening. (laughs) Um, And I really, that was a really valuable experience um, to learn, you know, how decisions are made, what those expectations are, why things are that way um, from another perspective. And so I I stayed in, um, in, I, I was, you know, promoted a few times within the company. I was there for, you know, like over 8 years. So, that was actually starting to become my career. I was going to be more on the administrative side. And um ultimately my role at the company was to be a liaison between the insurance company and the provider network. So, you know, kind of I was the relationship between the two. So explaining to people, you know, this is the new thing we're doing, this is why, and this is what you need to do. And, you know, so that was really valuable. Um, And then after that, I actually was, I actually left the insurance company and went to work for the executive office of health and human services in Massachusetts. So the, I then was overseeing the insurance company. So it was kind of interesting because I started out at an agency, a community mental health agency, and then I, when I left there to go to the insurance company, I was overseeing them, the people that I used to work for. And then when I went to work for the state government, I was overseeing the insurance company I used to work for. So I like gradually was stepping into like the opposite side of each perspective and kind of understanding things from more of a 360 view. And then I ultimately decided, you know, I wanted to go back to clinical work because that was why I wanted to do this in the first place it was kind of a dark night of the soul type decision and so i did that and so then i i left i left that job and um you know went to a group practice and then ultimately um into a solo practice yeah. and then that was really interesting because once i was responsible for kind of you know and i took insurance once i was responsible for doing all of those tasks and i was interacting with other insurance companies, you know, the common ones. And I was finding it really difficult to navigate and I couldn't get answers and I couldn't find information. And I was, you know, getting mixed messages. And I thought, you know, I worked for one of these, (laughs) if I
1: can't, you
5: know, like if I can't figure it out, if I can't find the answer, if I'm not getting what I need, and I know, I understand the system, if I can't do that, then how can your average therapist out there that has never had any of this other experience that I have had. And I, I had the thought more than once, like, no wonder people hate insurance companies. This is so frustrating because I felt that way. um, So frustrating. And so ultimately, you know, I, I transitioned off of insurance last year. And, you know, even in that transition, I, I did not have like... I I listened to Andriana and and Jennifer and Linda, you know, like the the conscious uncoupling that that (laughs) they are doing. You know, I did not have that experience because, you know, I was moving state to state and long story short, it was I had to abruptly end the the one contract that I that I had at that time. And I couldn't get answers and I couldn't get responses. And I was trying to make decisions. For myself and for my clients, and that—that was—I was just flabbergasted. So, you know, that was it for me. I had a very abrupt breakup with <laughs> with with that plan, and um, I, I appreciate having had all of that experience to understand things from a macro perspective. And it's, it, you know, it's funny when I think about during all of that time, you know, I would go to workshops or continuing education and I would be in groups with other therapists and, you know, you go around the circle and everybody says where they work and everyone's naming the agency that they work for or they're in private practice or, and, you know, it would come to me and I would think, oh God, you know, I, I would all, any, like, as soon as I said where I worked, every, like, you could feel the the shift in the room, you know, and, And I would experience this bizarre thing where, you know, the maybe the workshop presenter, every time there would be a question or something about insurance, they would give an answer and then kind of look over at me like, is this right? Or, you know, (laughs) so I, I was like you know, it, it was a thing. It was, it was a strange experience. Um, there's just so much fear, uh, about insurance among our, our community. Um, so, I mean, I don't have a relationship with insurance now. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm grateful for, for what I know, but it, it, it it's sort of, it's in the past now. It's, it's not anything that, um, you know, it has any bearing on what I'm doing now? But I think it wouldn't take a lot to change the relationship with insurance if there were some adjustments made that would make that
0: relationship more safe for for therapists. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I'm sure. And and given all the experience you've had, I mean, I I, I was listening to you watching like all all this the pieces of the system that you've lived in. Right, and to have that perspective. And I now hear you having this kind of like kind of a healthy breakup attitude of like that happened and I'm okay now. And you know, I'm grateful, but I don't need you anymore. I can appreciate the insights that you have now about like this. This could have worked if XYZ had happened, mm-hmm. or this could work if XYZ could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christy, if you could go back to yourself <laughs> to the beginning. And and anyone can jump in and answer this if you have an answer too. If you could go back, what would you what would you tell yourself at the beginning of the relationship that you know now that you wish you had known? And and this answer I think will also be for people who are asking themselves, should I drop insurance? Should I go on insurance?
5: I think I would I would tell myself that I have more power than I think I have. Hmm. I love that. Um, especially as I, if I could talk to myself when I first started, I would say you're going to get a lot more experience and a lot more, um, skill over the years and don't be afraid to, to value that yourself and to expect
1: that to be valued by other people. I love that. Thank you. What about for the rest of y'all? If
0: you could go if we could time travel back to our mm-hmm. our beautiful younger selves, our little naive selves. What would we what would we say? What would we tell them that we that we understand deeply now about our relationship with insurance?
3: As I look back on all the steps, right out of community mental health into credentialing, slowly out of credentialing, I really just I'm so grateful that I took all those steps. And and I I feel a sort of kinship with you, Christy, as you're talking about like, those are all experiences. Um, Maybe not all of them were good, but they're all experiences. Because now when it's time to like rubber meeting road, it is time to end this relationship. I can look back and say, I tried everything I could to make this relationship work. Like I have... Dug through the codes to figure out what is the code that would allow me to get the payment for the time I actually spend. I have tried to pre authorize, I have tried to post authorize, I have tried, you know, like I have done all the things that I can think of to do to make this work for me. And I'm really making that decision knowing like it just doesn't, which is different than I think if I had started off, you know, just not taking insurance. I probably would still have the question like, should I be taking insurance? Will this work better? Will this be easier? Like, I'm glad that I got the experience of feeling that felt sense of how hard it is and um, really getting to explore the nooks and crannies of how it can go well and how it can go wrong.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ever since I've known you, you, you've just been somebody who's had a... A maturity to appreciate all your learning experiences. So I I love the way that you articulated that for us. Yeah. Thank you. I'll share that, you know, I believe my, like, like every intern, (laughs) we listen to everything our supervisors say and we just like take it in and internalize it as reality, which it is a piece of reality. But I think because I was so scared to take insurance. I think that, you know, it, that was kind of how I landed in private practice as, as saying, I will not take this. This is something that's not good. And I think what I felt in kind of the therapeutic community, social groups and, and conversations was almost like an embarrassment or maybe even like a shame that I didn't take insurance. Because there's, there seems to be like a conversation, I think, in some therapy communities or Facebook groups that, you know, sometimes therapists who don't take insurance are shamed for not fixing the healthcare system or for not helping people. And so never, never having taken insurance, I oftentimes would feel afraid to participate in conversations like this because I was afraid of being judged. There's something
2: about, you know, personal value and worth that if I could go back, I would empower myself by saying like, you're worthy of having a healthy relationship with your career, Mm. with your business with the services that you provide is I look back on that time and how poor (laughs) and in debt I was Mm -hmm. to just get to the point of being able to provide services as a clinician. And I think that's another common misconception is that our educations are paid for, that we're being paid for associate hours. And most of us are not, or we're we're getting minimum wage at best um, for some of those hours. And, you know, I wasn't able to access healthcare, mental health care, dentistry, a functioning car. You know, j- you know just the basic levels of needs while I was supporting other people with trauma and dealing with that shame around transitioning to a business model that would actually support my basic needs is mm. a struggle. And I wish I could go back and just empower that Younger self and saying like it is okay for you to take care of your basic need for basic needs first and for your business Mm. and to not feel obligated to have relationships with systems that are oppressive and and unjust. I I I did it, but I just wish I could go back and tell her it's Mm. okay. (laughs) You don't have to feel bad about taking care of yourself. Mm. Um, In fact, it empowered me to be a better clinician and healthier person myself. Wow.
0: Well, my hope for this conversation, <laughs> one of my hopes is that whoever's listening to this or watching this, whatever part of their journey they're on, that, that we can make meaning <laughs> with what our younger selves didn't get, right? By, by educating and sharing with people that do get to learn these things now and do get to make choices. Um, so I, I'm grateful for your insights around that. And hopefully that inspires someone who's listening.
4: Yeah, yeah. I um, I think I I've been trying to like put together like how to articulate like what would I tell my younger self. Um, and hard question. It, it really is, and I think I mean it's bigger than the insurance piece, but like really the career piece of like so many of the decisions I made early on were from a place of like scarcity and hustle and like just trying to get it all in like as quickly as possible to get to the next step, because the next step would be more security would be better in some way. And so like I went through grad school, like really quickly. I worked while I was in most of grad school. I, um, took on lots of debt because that was the program that I was in. And I didn't want to wait to like, try to get in a different program that might be less expensive because I didn't want to like lose time. Mm-hmm. And then like, so going like straight from undergrad into grad school and like, going through grad school really quickly, going straight into like finding a way to like get my hours in as quickly as possible to get licensed as soon as possible. So you could get to the next thing into the next thing. And, um, I mean, I I slowed down a a tiny bit with my EMDR, but not that much. Um, So like once I got EMDR trained, I was like, uh, well, first I was in the like, no one talked to me about EMDR because I have to figure out what the hell I just took in. (laughs) Um, Like, I was like, no, I'm not doing consultation because I need, I can't take in more information. I need to like sort this out in my head first. So I was like a little bit under a rock at first. I don't recommend that. (laughs) Um, but, um, like that was the only time I slowed down with it at all, because I, um, you know, as soon as I got EMDR training, I was like, oh, well, then I want to get certified and I want to get, I want to become a consultant. And I knew like, I wanted to go to the next thing. And so I would like, but in in all of that and just kind of, then you just going along with like the norms of what is, what's happening around you and the norm of seeing lots of people every day and this model that doesn't work well for me. If I had been able to like slow down Mm. and like be more present with the experiences I was having at the time and like do more reflection of like, does this therapy model work for me? Mm. Is this how I want to like, is this what I want my career to look like? Um, like I kind of just like took, like took it as fact. And then just like, okay, well, this is what we have to do. This is what we have to do. And um, on to the next thing. And so I, I wish my, like what I would tell my myself would be to slow down and take time to pause mm-hmm. and to really uh, evaluate, like, how do these things feel to you? And, and do they work well for you um, in a way that's sustainable to meet and take care of your needs? I mean, like, like Annie was saying, like, I, I feel like it's such a common um experience as a therapist that like, nope, your needs don't matter. <laughs> like, like we internalize that so early on. And like, it doesn't matter if you can't meet the things you need to meet because you need to show up and be present and, and, you know, hold space for your clients. And that that's not like, that's, it's very disconnected from like, Practicing what we're actually trying to help people do, if we're not doing that ourselves. Mm.
0: Beautifully said. And, and as I'm listening to, you, I'm realizing that the system, even our training system, isn't really designed for us to slow down and ask ourselves what we need. Not mind. at all. And it's not. And mm-hmm. and I think that you know we know as as trauma therapists that it's hard to slow down and check in with our feelings and and our needs when we are in a perceived or real scarcity slash survival mode. Mm-hmm. It's just not accessible. I, I mean, that's a privilege, right? And I can remember being an intern getting five dollars for an hour, thinking to myself, "Oh my God, how am I gonna <laughs> how how am I gonna do this for three thousand hours in California? Mm-hmm. Um, when can I charge more than this?" Right. And then having supervisors say to me, well, this is what I charge and you can't charge more than me. And just all sorts of things about, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it there really is this system of power and control and oppression. It's not just the insurance companies. So we have this relationship dynamic, I think, internalized from multiple angles. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that all of us can do as EMDR consultants, right. I know a lot of us do EMDR consultation and, and practice building. I think we can give that to our consultees. Mm-hmm right? We, we can change the culture around that, which I'm excited about. Yeah, Christy. Yeah, just to
5: your point about, you know, the institutions and the training being insufficient. I mean, when you think about it, the, this entire insurance issue is, you know, going to affect many people, if not most people coming out of grad school. I mean, there are people that come out of grad school and never take insurance like some of us, um, you know, for various reasons, but for many people, they will, but that's not even talked about in our training. It's not, we're not taught how to document. I mean, and then we wonder why the, you know, why we're getting audited or, you know, why they're taking clawbacks and all like, uh, we're not prepared to know how to document sufficiently our, you know, our work for all of these, you know, business aspects that we are going to be dealing with are not, I I don't know, maybe something has changed since I was in grad school, but, you know, I suspect maybe not that it's not, it's largely not addressed. And that's like, you know, that's like someone going to medical school and them saying, well, you know, you're going to have to use a scalpel, but, you know, you'll just have to figure that out yourself later. And careful, it's sharp. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> Don't hurt anybody. Don't cut yourself.
4: <laughs> it's crazy. <Yeah. laughs> it's crazy. The, the list I have of things that they didn't teach us in school that you need to know to be able to to actually function and, and be successful in this <laughs> career is like very long so that's many more podcasts. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's another podcast. <laughs> we will be here talking about it. And one thing I feel confident about knowing all of you as friends and colleagues is that, should anyone listening want to work with you in consultation, they will get all of the things we're talking about. They will get that value system. And, you know, for people listening who are thinking about insurance or who's going to supervise them or be their mentor, I hope that you will choose somebody who embodies the values that we are talking about because I really do feel on a mission with all of you to create a different culture for therapists so that we are sustainable to, to support people.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. What a, go ahead. Yeah. I just, you know, this is, this is amazing. What, what you have all said, I, I have been processing, you know, trying to figure out what just, how do I want to respond to this? And I think I, I'm going to share this client that I met with today, um, who is in grad school. I have so many clients who are, um, either therapists or grad students in the gig, just getting into the field. And we talked, we were talking about something and she said, um, they didn't mention anything to me about self-care. She said, I can literally show you at the end of the textbook (laughs) is a little blurb about self-care in the textbook. And I was like, oh, that is so telling right do we matter and i guess you know if i could go back and tell you know share something with my younger my younger self i would say you matter mm. you matter clients matter of course they matter right we do this work for a reason i love what i do i really have a passion as all of you do for the work but you know we are uh, we are the instrument, you know. We're the tool of our of our trade, and we matter. Who we are matters. What we believe matters. Um, how much we value, and so I wish that I had really known that because of all you know, the years of working with insurance companies really um, really felt so oppressive that there were times that I felt that. Um, I wasn't good enough, right? Because I wasn't doing the documentation good enough Mm -hmm. for the insurance company because I don't really care about it. And I, or I was not, you know, I wasn't getting things done in the way that they needed it to be done, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And so that led me to internalize that. And, you know, the thing is, I have good clinical skills, right? We all have good clinical skills and shouldn't be judged by that particular you know, by that standard um, of um, bureaucracy. And so, you know, I think that's what I would say. I I would tell myself, you're good enough. You are a good, you know, you've always been good enough. And the beliefs that I have and the values that I have now that led me into this field are the same ones that I hold today. I value people. I really want to help people. I love helping people in all ways that, we can as EMDR clinicians, trauma specialists, consultants, that's like, you know, passion. It's a passion, but it's a passion that I want to be paid for and we deserve to be paid for and we deserve to be paid equitably, you know? So I think that's what I would do. I, I wish that I had known that. I wish that I, would, I, had, I did not have to come to this at, you know, an age <laughs> now. So, um, but I can. I'm here now, and like you know, Adriana had said, like it's the process. I'm good with the process. Also, there's a huge, there's a lot of wisdom that comes from what we've we've all experienced, and um, that's so valuable mm-hmm. to you know each other, to our clients, and to our um, consultees. So, you know, it's amazing. It's just an amazing journey. So, uh, well, you know, that's I guess that's how I sum that up for myself.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I I was listening to you, Linda, and I love the theme of just respect, Mm. right? Respect for self, Mm -hmm. um, respect for clients and respect for the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be cool if we could, in the powerful places that we are as service providers, redefine what it means to be a respectful,
1: respectable clinician, Mm -hmm. right? No. Yeah. Yeah, that's a mission. And that's what you're doing. Well, we're all here for it. We're,
0: you know, and, and I and I hope that people listening to this conversation will borrow the stories, borrow the lessons, borrow the values, borrow the permission to do whatever works for them, mm-hmm. whatever that is, whether it's taking insurance, not taking insurance, somewhere in the middle. Right. I just I think I think us giving people more permission is important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. On that piece
3: of permission, I keep playing back the moment at at graduation from grad school and having an undergrad too, where they say like, you are now conferred this degree with all the rights and responsibilities thereof. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember having that moment of like, whoa, like, (laughs) it's going to glow or I don't know. But then, you know, you get licensed and it's like, oh, there's this already this permission of like, you are a professional make your own decisions. And then we go back to our day to day. And it's like, oh wait, I don't know, am I allowed? Like you already have that you earned a degree, you got a license, like you got this training. Like at some point you can consider your dues paid. Like and maybe that is different for everybody, but there have been steps all along the way where people have affirmed you're right there. It's just that then the you know the chorus then comes in to like make us forget.
0: I love that. Mm-hmm. That's, that was beautifully said. And that that image, I think we can all go back to that moment of graduation, of transition, of being invited to go into that new identity and to be able, I mean, I think maybe everyone listening should just get their tappers out and enhance that with like a resource development installation, right? Just to internalize the permission of that. Yeah. Butterfly taps. Thank you. mm Yeah, Christy. Yeah, just,
5: you know, I was listening to Linda talk about self-care and, you know, thinking about self-care. And I know we've probably all talked about this together before, but, you know, I am at the point where I'm willing to say that my needs are more important than my client's needs. And I'm not talking about anything ethical, you know, ethical violations or anything like that, but my needs are more important than my client's needs because if I'm not well, Mm -hmm. I am not showing up the way I want to. Mm
1: -hmm.
5: And that is something I never thought I would say in the past. (laughs) Um, But it's really, for me, it's true. And, you know, I just... I can't really conceive of a situation where, you know, I, um, I, I, my concept of self-care has changed so much. I mean, I think we all learn self-care and we think it's massages and pedicures, you know, and someone told you, back in an agency somewhere to go practice some self-care when you were about at the end of your rope. And essentially that meant, please go and, you know, handle yourself and so that you can come back and meet my needs Mm. and our needs for, you know, for your performance. Like that's essentially what that meant. Like someone in a power position saying, please go away and handle your business, get yourself together and come back and be ready to work. Um, and you know, that kind of morphs over time into kind of, we do that to ourselves sometimes, you know, we bring that agency mentality into our practices sometimes, or some of us do, I did at first, and then we treat ourselves that way. And we think, okay, I'm going to see all these clients and then I'm going to, maybe I'll take, you know, a half a day on Friday and, and I'll you know, go do something, you know, I mean, it's like a class or a walk. Yeah. (laughs) You know that, yeah, that'll do it (laughs) after seeing, you know, 35 clients this week or whatever you've done. So, you know, I think that now I think of self-care as baked into the structure Mm -hmm. and that cannot be separated from the issue around finances. Yep. Because you have to, in order to practice self-care as structure, you have to be, you, your your practice has to be set up in a way that allows you to do that. Which means you're not seeing 30 people. Mm-hmm. You're not, that this brings in the insurance, you know, this is kind of the link to the insurance conversation because it just doesn't support the kind of life that you want as a professional. Mm-hmm.
0: Beautifully said. I, I 100% feel and agree with all of that. And yes, profound self care is the structure of our business. 100%. And, you know, I don't know how it was for all of you personally or with your colleagues, but I watched in my, I wasn't in an agency, but I was an intern in a nonprofit at the Christian Counseling Center. I watched all of us making $5 an hour, $20 an hour burn ourselves out. I mean, it was just inevitable. The system was designed to do that. And I imagine that's maybe what taking insurance felt like or feels like. But it was interesting to watch my colleagues push, 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 push and crash. And inevitably, there'd be some kind of a crash. For some of us, it was like getting shingles or like, you know, my body would, I would have like, you know, appendicitis or like just weird medical things. My body would shut me down when I was going, going, going for some of the people, it was just like their relationships were falling apart. And I feel like there's this very common story among us of going, 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 crashing, and then having this rebuilding experience. Right. And so I hope people listening don't have to do that, right. That they can just start from the intentional rebuild now. That That's my hope. Yeah. You know, one thing that
2: I hear a lot from clinicians that I work with is, is the sense of responsibility. And as someone who has issues with over-responsibility as well, I feel that too. And what I try to support others with is the understanding that you alone cannot be responsible for the righting of the wrong of the systems of delivery of care in our, in our country. We each have a collective role and an individual role to play in the injustices in the society, including delivery of mental health care. And there's ways in which we can step forward and participate and educate and advocate um, without being overwhelmed with responsibility within our delivery of care and within our businesses. You know, you're not going to write this ship with your business alone as an individual sole provider in your practice and and I think there is a real sense that we should and that we can and I, I I find myself having to challenge and support people with that notion that that's even possible so I I encourage people to advocate to call their representatives and to to dive in and and think about the ways in which you think the system can change and and advocate but that doesn't happen to have does not have to happen and maybe can't within your delivery of care in your private practice or
0: wherever else you're practicing. So I love that. I I love the acknowledgement of our responsibility and the and the boundaries around that. And also saying that there's other things we can do mm-hmm. <laughs> to change a, to change mm-hmm. a broken system. Right. We don't have to throw ourselves down and, and be be trampled every week. Beautiful.
2: In fact, that's not going to change the system. It's going to disempower you to have the energy and the wherewithal to um, think about how we can change things and participate in that change Mm -hmm. with with
0: energy. Yes. I love it. Christy.
5: Yeah. I mean, just to piggyback on what Annie is saying, I mean, I really see healthy therapists as, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the legacy, you know, considering. This is a very female-dominated field that, you know, for women who might be the sole income earners for their families, you know, I, I saw a statistic recently that most businesses, most female-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year. It was the majority. It was like a huge percentage. And that is, that's not an income that you can create generational wealth on. That's not an income you can close the wealth gap with. Um, I really see, you know, the systemic change coming from individuals deciding to, you know, expect more for themselves. And it kind of has a ripple effect out from there. I mean, I totally agree with what we're saying that there are other things we can do. The change isn't going to come on your couch <laughs> Um, With your, however many clients you have, I mean, that certainly is a a valuable change or you're changing, you know, those people's lives are changing, but, you know, in looking at economic (laughs) change, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, we, I see this as empowering to, to women, empowering to, you know, all of us who are trying to create something different for ourselves than maybe what we had Growing up, or what we were, were taught through experience to expect um, in the past,
0: mm. I love that so much. And I and I want to just add on to that too. That um, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure if I was going to say this or not say, but I decided I'm going to say it because I'm feeling brave. I was talking with someone this morning, and I was talking about the discussion we were going to have today. And this person asked me, oh "My gosh, you go you go on your podcast and talk about like insurance and money and." What if, what if your clients heard you talk about that? Mm. And what I said was, I hope they do. I hope my clients know that they have a therapist who is learning how to take care of herself in a structural, real, profound way, mm. right? I hope that my clients think like, Cambria's figuring some things out, right? And she can help me figure some things out. Because I don't think clients want to learn from somebody who is in this, I don't matter, in this, I am powerless mentality. It's incongruent with the care that we're supposed to be giving. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And yet still, it is scary to come in here and talk about that and, and say that. It's both.
3: Yeah, I've shared with a few of you before, like when I was telling clients Hey, I'm gonna be leaving your panel soon and this is what that might mean for you, blah, blah, blah. That across the board, the reaction was, I'm so happy for you. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting something totally different than that, you know. And we we've, we've had to work through a series of other feelings too, but the sense of, you know, they want their therapist to have what that therapist needs. They don't want their therapists to be wondering about, you know, am I going to be able to afford lunch today or not? Like they want their therapists to be focused and to have more than one person say that as their initial response. It's like, there's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, being able to talk about money in session is probably a specialty that is <laughs> worth being paid for. Yeah.
4: I I did just echo Andreana's experience too. Like I was, Part of why I am still in this process is because I procrastinated on leaving the last two insurances for several months because I was afraid that like all my clients were going to be mad at me and that I was going to upset everybody. I was going to let everybody down. Like our part of our, um, you know, our role is being a therapist to, you know, be reliable and be supportive and, and also within taking care of yourself. And, but I had a very similar experience. Um, you know, all of the, all of my clients were very receptive to me sharing that I was leaving their insurance and understood that insurance is frustrating and a pain to deal with. And it can completely understand why I didn't want to deal with it. And also recognize that, I have a lot of experience and I've done a lot of work to get to this place and I deserve to go on and do other things and, you know, whatever I want that to be. And, and that was, yeah, it was really encouraging. Mm.
0: I'm so glad you had that. Both of you had that response. And I also think that, you know, modeling for your clients, this worked for me here and now this is going to work for me. Mm -hmm right gives them the clients that permission to make changes in their life that are scary or where someone's going to be mad at them potentially right. mm-hmm. so this is all clinically helpful look at us <laughs> and of course there's going to be clients who don't like it right and and that's to be expected but but I think it's important for people to hear about the stories where people were supportive because I think in our community we tend to hear the opposite Right, yeah. as part of the like keeping us in a place, like, well, don't do that because XYZ. So thank you for saying that. Mm, this is so good. You know, I imagine after this goes out, I'm gonna get some emails. And I imagine some of them are gonna be interesting emails, um, <laughs> full of thoughts, opinions, and ideas. And I and I hope that I do because I always welcome them. How would you all feel about potentially having a part two to this conversation in response to some of the emails we might get about this some of the thoughts people might have
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: let's do it okay beautiful any any final thoughts or insights that we want to share before we end this kind of part one of our conversation what what are you all taking away uh from this discussion today or what do you want people to take away from it
5: i hope i'm not uh stealing anything from Linda here, but I keep going back to what you said about listening to your podcast, Cambria, about who's the boss. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really, um, that one stuck with me too. And that really sums it up for me that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're the boss. You are the boss of your own business. You're the boss of your own life. Mm -hmm. Um, And you get to make the decisions that are right for you. Um, so that, that really is kind of the bottom line, uh, for me, mm-hmm. what I hope people take from
0: <laughs> this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'll, I'll share too, since I'm next in the, the Brady Bunch box. Um, as I, as I've talked about this with you all here, and we've talked about this a lot, um, in other spaces too. I think I'm realizing that, that really, I never really took insurance, but I still have a relationship with insurance and I still have all these, um, messages I've internalized. And I really appreciate the connections we've made today around just the system of oppression, like the, the system of the imbalance of power. And I'm just leaving with so much, um, compassion, um, and empathy for my intern self.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: Really. Um, and, and feeling even, I think, more motivated to help not just interns, but other, you know, early on professionals or later in life professionals get to get to this place that we're that we're talking about. So thank you for helping me uh feel that in my body and and having that um tenderness there. Hmm.
1: I'm, you know, I'm really this has been wonderful, you know, what Christy had said is really how I, I really believe that I feel that I believe it. And, um, what I've come to know is that we can have a practice that is in sync with who we are Mm. and have the kinds kind of business that, um, that we love, you know, like, I think our work is so much about love and caring and, um, you know, holding and, and we can do that for ourselves and have the business that we love i think you know as i look at my business this transformation from insurance base to what it is now which is probably 60 40 60 40 insurance right this minute 60 but going the other way going you know um but i i you know, I love it. I love every element of it and you can add and subtract and move around and make changes and do what you love and, and, um, and do that intentionally. And I guess, and um, I would like other people to know that, that if this is your business, you do what you want and the money will follow if you're mindful and you um, maintain your own self-respect and self, um, self-esteem, you know, self-care, all of those self things. Yeah. So I think that's what I, you know, that's what I have taken away from this myself. And um, I hope that other people have heard that too.
0: Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much. And I know that you have so many um, therapists and EMDR therapists that come work with you, not just for consultation, but for therapy. You're kind of like the the mentor of the of the therapist. So I'm excited that they'll get that message from you in that space as well mm-hmm, definitely yeah thank
4: you uh, I think what's standing out for me is um the the permission to like you're 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 the boss of your business and also that means that you're allowed to change things and they uh, and that changing things is good mm-hmm. and um Like early on, I thought like, oh, if I can just figure out the right way to put this together, then like, then it will feel good because it'll be the same. And like, right. And then like, then I will know how how it works and then it'll be, you know, ready to go. (laughs) But like that, like rigidity doesn't, isn't, you know, isn't usually from a, a intentional place. And so, and I, you know, thinking about like those conversations that I had with clients as I was deciding to as I'm deciding to leave insurance like leaving insurance is a very intentional decision like my decision to join insurance was not intentional that was just the way that it was supposed to be done or how I thought it was supposed to be done and so I think like having be making those decisions in your business from a place that's intentional and what is a good fit for you at this point in time and what is good for your self-care at this point in time and what you need in your life and what you need your business to provide for you in your life. Like if you're bringing all of that into your decisions, like whether you're deciding to take insurance or not, just to be like intentional about it and and that that will then feel good.
1: Mm.
0: So much wisdom today. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Annie.
2: I, well, first of all, thank you so much, Cambria, for uh, having this conversation. I, I'm just so honored to be a part of this esteemed group. And I guess I'm really thinking about all the therapists out there, listening or not, who are going through so much. I mean, it has been hard. And I'm just so grateful for every therapist out there serving over the last couple of years under really difficult conditions. And burnout is is a big concern. And so I just want to honor your service and just say that we need you healthy. <laughs> we need you well. We need you inspired. We need you cared for. And I just want to empower everyone out there to do what they need to do to be well, because we need you.
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you so Thank you for being here, Annie. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Just jump in to say my takeaway is that it's good to have community, right? I think um, part of what makes us make these decisions around insurance is that isolation and thinking, I think this is what everybody does. I don't know. And it's been really nice to be exposed to so many different ways of running this type of business so that you can start to take people's brains, get other experiences, but also have that hope of like what's possible.
1: Mm.
3: So I'm grateful for this space.
0: Beautiful. Well, I am so grateful for all of you. I have so much admiration and respect for all of you. We will we will link all of your contact information in the show notes if anyone's feeling drawn to you or inspired by you and, and needing more of that to stay healthy and, and have that community. Um, so thank you in advance for being in service to those clinicians who might reach out. Um, and I'm looking forward to potentially, you know, doing a, a part two of this conversation. So thank you. I want to again thank Andreana Mabry, Linda Stanley, Christy Pearl, Annie Robershar, and Jennifer jenkins point not. How lucky am I that I get to hang out with such phenomenal EMDR consultants and CITs and clinicians in the consultation program? And as always, when we have these juicy, rich discussions in the program, uh, we want to try to bring them into the podcast and, and summarize them and share them with all of you because they're they're life-changing. They're life-changing and they're important. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being curious about yourself, the way that you seek out security in your private practice, because we're not just talking about insurance, are we? We're talking about security. And I hope that today's episode has inspired you to think about how you might be an advocate for social justice in the mental health system how you might be someone in private practice who gets to feel secure in your business model in uh, ways other than taking insurance. And if you've left this you know, conversation feeling like you feel good about taking insurance, I'm happy about that too. I just want to support us talking about how we think about how we think. So as always, y'all, I'm rooting for your success. It's summertime. I hope you're having some fun. Because as Annie mentioned, we need to sustain and protect you as these precious resources uh, in the mental health community. And until we are together again next time, I wish you health and safety and we are all rooting for your success. Take care.